you've ever struggled in your prayer life, this is going to be a great propelling forward, I believe. And uh, I just encourage you to come. It's going to be several weeks long, um, but uh, I think you'll be really blessed by this series as we dig in to, go ahead, sir, as we dig into what the Lord taught us about prayer and uh, how to apply that, you know, because the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. So he taught them how to pray. And so I think you'll really, uh, think you'll be really blessed by it. Uh, so that'll start next, uh, next Sunday morning. Um, but we've been in a series that we're wrapping up today on uh, where Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me and follow after me. And so as we, as we talk about this <clears throat> role of today, as we've gone through the different aspects of this, it begins with follow me, it ends with follow me. And he talks about how that we, to get to that place for us to be able to follow him, there are two things that are going to have to happen. One is, he says, we're going to have to deny ourselves. And the second is, is that we're going to need to take up our cross daily. Now, we'll come back and visit that in a few moments, but just realize that there are two things that lead to following Christ, okay? There are two things that lead to following Christ. One is that we deny ourselves, and then the second is that we take up our cross daily. When Sharon and I moved into the farm, we, uh, there, were, there were all kinds of things there that had potential. I mean, incredible potential. Uh, things that had been, you know, I've got some pieces of wood uh, in my barn that are probably, they're, they're at least from 1896. Um, some of the oak that's there, all the oak beams underneath. But uh, there are pieces of wood that are all over the barn. And those pieces of wood, um, you know, you could burn them to get rid of them, obviously. And I have burned a bunch of stuff to get rid of it. But there are pieces that are there that I take to myself, and what I do with them is, is that I refinish them. I, like I have a shelf that's in my kitchen that's from a piece of wood that I actually took and refinished. I think it was part of a gate that was there on the farm, and uh, I took that piece of wood and I, you know, I sanded it down, and then I you know, put some stain on it, put some little brackets on it, and now it's in my kitchen. So at one point, that piece of wood served another purpose. And so today what we call that is what? Repurposing, right? Repurposing. And so we take things and we bring, we, we repurpose them for use. And we found all kinds of things. We found chairs that we repurposed that had lost their cushions. We found tables that we've repurposed. We've given a lot of stuff away to folks. We've given away, you know, people will take those old barn beams. They have some, I have some, some big, the big, I don't know how big those are, but I'm guessing they're at least 10, 8 inches maybe each way, and uh, they'll make uh, mantles out of them in their home. So what are they doing? They're taking something that was used for something else, something that had a different purpose, and they are giving it a new purpose. Well, the reason I say that is because that's what Jesus did with you and I. Not only did he make us new, you know, God didn't refinish us. God gave us a new, a whole new purpose a whole new purpose in life. He took us from one state into another state, not, not, not like Indiana and Michigan, from out of darkness, okay, into his marvelous light. He 
made all things new for us. Um, and it's important for us to recognize that that really is what Jesus is saying here to these men when he tells them, if any man will follow me, in the end saying, follow me. Because what he's saying, and I think you'll, I think you'll understand this as we get deeper into this message, is he's saying, look, guys, I am going to repurpose your lives. I'm going to repurpose what you do. I'm going to make you new vessels to be able to fulfill the purpose that I have for you. So I want to make a statement to you. God says to you and I that he loves us just the way we are, okay? But he's not going to leave us that way. That's our principle of transformation, our core value of transformation in our ministry. God loves us just like we are. You know, we sang on, on Good Friday the song, Just As I Am. Look, I come wounded. I come broken. But just as I am as I come to him, God gives me the newness of life. God repurposes my life. God takes me out of my brokenness and makes me whole. Can you say amen? God takes my what I need healed of and he makes me well. That's what God does with us. But we have to understand, and this is so paramount to get this, that look, he loves us just like you are right now. You, you look at all your flaws and imperfections in your life, but that does not change how God loves you. But the principle or the value of transformation says, I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you the way that you are. Aren't you glad? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad he's not leaving you the way you are. See, God's intent for all of us is that we have, you know, what does it mean to be a follower? When Jesus says, look, follow me in the end here, he's not saying to them, tag along. He's not saying just watch. What he's saying is, guys, I'm going to make you, I'll be your leader. And a leader who truly is invested in followers wants to make every one of those followers like the leader. Not just to create, you know, that's my dream in the church is not to create a bunch of followers. Who cares? You can gather followers. That's easy. But it's tough to, it, it, it's tough to create leaders out of followers, to take them, because you have to set an example. You have to train. You have to keep on purpose because it's too easy just to fall into that rut in life where you do your thing and I do my thing and you just make sure I get my thing done. See, God says, Jesus is saying to these guys, follow me. You know, it's so powerful because, you know, we're not Jews, so we wouldn't understand this completely. But when a little boy is born into a Jewish family, they take that little boy and they start educating him. Now, they don't send him, like, to learn math and, and English, and they start educating him in the Scriptures. And so they would educate that, that child, and they would continue to pour the Word into that child until the age of 10 years old, and when that child would turn 10, he would be, he would be at that time required to quote the, four book, the five books of the Old Testament, the, what's called the Torah, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. He would have to quote it. You'd say, man, that, that would be hard because I about fall asleep reading those. How could you quote them? Uh, let me just tell you, it is amazing what people can learn. I was in India. Sharon and I were both in India, and... Uh, we had the opportunity to go to a school where all they do is teach the kids the Bible. And I watched little girls in that classroom 
little girls. Now, when I talk about little girls, I'm talking about seven years old that would quote whole books of the Bible. Whole books in English, which is not their native language. So they would quote whole books of the Bible. So I know it's hard for our mind to conceive with our education system that a child could learn that much, but if that's the focus, that's what they would learn. So here's what, here's what would happen. They would take those children and they would educate them until they were 10 years old and then they would get up and they'd have to quote parts. They would be tested to see if they had learned their parts and then they would go into an apprenticeship, maybe to the family business, and they would learn how to do that business. And that's where they would spend the rest of their life. The students who were really good at learning the verses would get an extra five years that they could continue to go to school to be able to learn more of the scriptures. And by the time they would graduate in five years later, which would make them 15, they would now know from the book of Genesis to the book of Malachi. Okay? from Genesis to the book of Malachi. And, I mean, it was phenomenal. But if they, look, if they did really good, if they were great and just tremendous students, they got to stay in school and they would then go to what was called rabbinical school at the age of 15. Now, most of the kids would just graduate out at 15 and they would go and work an apprenticeship and start in their career for what they were going to do. But those who were really studious, those who were really good, were accepted and chosen to continue on in learning. Now, take that paradigm, that what I've just told you, which is all true, you can dig into it yourself, all right? That Take all of that and think about what Jesus, the rabbi, is saying to the fishermen, to the tax collector. What's he saying? He's saying, look, guys, I choose you. See, we don't think about that he's saying in this, follow me, that that means that I've chosen you to follow me. But what he's saying to them, and they would know this because what he did, these are grown men. These are not like little kids. These are grown men who already have done their first 10 years of study and have been sent out not chosen They've maybe someone in that group went through five more years, but not chosen. But here's Jesus, one who is chosen, who is called teacher and rabbi, who stands to these men and says to them, follow me. See, what did he do with them? He took them from something they didn't they could not even conceive of ever happening in their life. And he said, look. The door is wide open. Now it's your choice. Do you want to step in or do you want to stay out? Follow, follow after me. Because see, Jesus sees people. He loves people. God loves people just the way they are, whether they're the best student or not the best student. Whether they get all A's or they've struggled through school. He loves them exactly all, us all, the same. But also, he didn't like look at them and say, follow me and stay the way you are. What he was saying is, look, I'm not going to leave you the way you are, guys. 
I'm not only going to teach you, I'm going to give you what you need to be able to be everything that I am. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, and you remember this story in the scripture, how the rich young ruler came to him and said, you know, Lord, I want to be one of your guys. And Jesus said, you know, well, what is the scripture saying? He says, love the Lord your God, which he would know, you know, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, love your neighbor. And, and Jesus, and it says there, Jesus loved him. And so Jesus called him to follow him. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to give up what you've got and follow after me. And he, of course, turned away. But I want you to recognize that Jesus in this passage loved the guy before the guy ever made the decision to go on. He didn't like say, look, if you do everything I tell you to do, then I love you. That isn't God. But what God says to us is that let my love propel you you forward to transformation. Love is a transform. I think this is our problem in in Christianity. I think it's our problem in the world is, is that not realizing, look, we could say it and we all quote it probably and say, you know, God so loved the world. And we say, we know God loves us. I know God loves me. Um, you know, for years, Rex Humbard used to, those of you know who that is, used to put out a pen that says, you know, God is love and, uh, you know, all those things that we say, but we still act like God doesn't love us. We have no security because we have no security in the world because we still think somehow we have to earn God's love. And the reality is, is, is that we don't earn the love of God. We are in a position from love to God. He already made that decision. God doesn't choose you because you're the cream of the crop. In fact, he had to remind the Israelites of that at one point. He said, look, and you can study this in the the first five books of the Bible. He said to them flat out, look, I didn't choose you because you were the best of all the people. But I chose you out of my love for you. See, when people know and believe that they are loved by God, it changes everything in their life. Following Christ means that you believe that Christ loves you, that Christ loves you deeply. Listen to this out of Matthew 4, 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking by the Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were throwing a net into the lake because they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you I will make you fish for people. And so Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and they followed him. Jesus does everything backwards from what the people of that time were doing. You do good, you get chosen, you do better, you get to move up, you do better, you're in. You're in the in crowd. Jesus does it completely the opposite. He says, you're in, now what are you going to do with being in? What are you going to do with it? See, when Jesus said to you, and when he said this in this passage to take up your cross daily and follow me, he said, deny yourself. What was it? We looked at this over the last couple of weeks. What was he really trying to say? Now, I know people will say, well, you know, deny myself, deny my carnal life, deny my fleshly life, uh, deny, you know, deny the old man in my life, um, Take up the cross, you know, that's my burden that I have to bear, which that isn't what he said at all, but that's what we've turned it into. So people will talk about, I'm going through a tough time, I guess that's just my cross 
to bear, and that isn't even what Jesus was referencing. Because what Jesus was saying to you and I, and listen to this now, what Jesus was saying to you and I is, look, the cross represents suffering, the cross represents opposition, the cross represents death, the cross represents shame. Deny yourself means you're going to have to walk away from your opposition. You're going to have to walk away from your shame because that's who you are when you come to Christ. You're shamed, suffering, opposed, and dying. And he's saying, look, you're going to have to deny that part of your life. And you and I, look, if we're honest about it, we know that in our lives, that's what keeps trying to come back. Our failures, our shortcomings, our disappointments, our sufferings, our, all those things. But what Jesus is saying when he says, look, take up your cross, because what he's saying to you and I is, is it now means opposition and shame and suffering and death do not have the final word over your life. That may be where you have been, but that is not where you are going, because there is a point of de-embarking de 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 that's taking place. There we go. A place of embarkation, a place where you are going from one state, one place to another place out of darkness. I wish I could get a good amen out of darkness into the light. You're going out of bondage into freedom. You're going into health instead of sickness and disease. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, when Jesus talked to Peter, in the end, he was in John chapter 21, and we won't have time to look at it this morning, but in John 21, you know, they're, they're eating breakfast. Peter's gone back fishing. I mean, they're, they see the Lord up, this guy on the shore says, hey, you got any fish? They recognize that's the Lord. They get up to the shore. He's got breakfast cooked. Hallelujah. Jesus ate breakfast. And this is after his resurrection. And he starts in this dialogue with Peter. And, you know, it could be really frustrating to read because you look at it and you go, man, come on, Lord, give Peter a break. He's had a tough time. I mean, he's really gone through it. He's struggled through all this. They've just gone through waiting. They didn't even know your resurrection was really going to happen. And uh, Peter's gone back fishing because they've been waiting for the Lord to show back up. And he just didn't show up when they thought he would. And just like all of us. When God doesn't move when we want, we start creating our own ways for things to happen. So Jesus, he's, he makes breakfast. And so when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus turns to Simon. Now, here we go. To Simon Peter, and he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And I mean, he lays it on him. I mean, he does. And look, he doesn't just do this one time because Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. See, now one time you'd think, okay, well, that was good. That's great. But he didn't do it one time. He did it three times. And, you know, that makes me think about something else that happened three times. Because it was three times that Peter betrayed the Lord. I think one of these was for each of those times. Because saying, look, if you love me, man, if you're my follower, then here's what's happening. I'm repurposing your life. You're not a fisherman anymore. You're going to shepherd my people. You're going to lead my people. I'm going to transform your life. 
Peter was running back to what he knew. Jesus was propelling him forward to what he had planned for him. Three times he bugs him about it. Peter gets frustrated, actually, at the end. Uh, you know, just like he got frustrated at the woman that said to him three times, you know, when the last one that said, you're one of his followers, and he says, I am not, and he began to curse. Well, he didn't curse this time. Of course, we wouldn't curse if Jesus was there, right? Because what is Jesus about when he says, follow me? Christ says to follow him because he is calling Peter to a deep, transformative life. Christ calls to us because he is calling us to a deep, transformative life. He wants to not only change the old pattern, but he wants to give us a new pattern. He wants to take us from being old things, dead things, bad things, and make us a new thing, a new creation altogether. Hallelujah. Jesus transforms our identity, who we are. He transformed the identity of Peter from a fisherman to a shepherd. You and I are transformed by Christ from sinner to saint. Can I get an amen? From ashes to beauty, glory to God. From the morning, from mourning in our lives to the oil of joy. You know, this last week, a good friend of mine passed away and went into heaven. One of our longtime trustees. And look, when I walked into his room and he's laying there on the bed and he's dying and he's taking his last breath, my mind is not about the way the man is dying. My, man, my thought is about the life this man is about to enter into, the new life. When they called me and said he's gone, he's passed into glory, that was where my mind was, is that, look, Jesus makes all things new. He made all things new for my friend. Hallelujah. That's why we can say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the law. But look, thanks be to God. Thanks be, thank you God for the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. He turns our mourning to the oil of joy. Sure, I shed a tear when I stood by his bed and prayed with him. But the truth is, is that as I prayed that prayer, it wasn't about the thought that this is the end for him, but it's about the beginning in his new life. Hallelujah. It might be the end of our relationship here on earth, but it's the beginning of his new one in eternity in the Lord that he loved and believed in. He makes all things new, from old things to a new creation. God has taken us in this transformative power that he works in our life from being cursed to being blessed. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law because he became a curse for us so that as it says cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, that what God had planned for his Jewish people to be blessed through Abraham. Now the blessings of Abraham belong to the Gentile people, you and I, and we live under the blessings of Abraham in our lives today. Hallelujah. We went from being cursed to being blessed, from sick to being well, and my friend, from being dead to being alive. What does the resurrection say for you and I? Death is defeated. Life is become new. What Jesus had planned all along, and that's what kept him going, 
wasn't so that he could die, but was so that you could live, so you could experience the new life that he had planned for you, that you could be like him. It wasn't so that he could die on a cross and suffer and bleed and go through all this tragedy, but it was so that three days later he could resurrect and forever be the testator of the new covenant that has been established in his own blood and say, look, now, Devil, you have no authority over them. Your power is broken. You can't touch them. You can't have them. You can't destroy them. You can't take them out. There's a bloodline that is drawn in the new covenant through my blood. And so you couldn't pass that blood because I paid the ultimate price. The debt is paid and new life is given. What was Jesus saying to his disciples when he said, follow me? He's saying, guys, I've got something. I've got something great planned. He was saying, follow me. I'm going to make you like me. I'm going to make you just like me. I'm going to make you, I'm going to, I'm not just going to, that's why, that's why what's happening, that's why what's taking, what happens through the Christian faith that is applied correctly is, is absolutely unstoppable. It's unstoppable. And I'll tell you why it's unstoppable. Because it's propelled forward because people just aren't, do, aren't just churchgoers. I mean, thank God it doesn't say, follow me and I'll make you a churchgoer. We got lots of churchgoers. No, this movement, what's happening? Look, the, 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 the Islam is full of people that just follow after Muhammad and his teachings. Um, you know, all of these religions that are out there have followers that just go and do all their things and then go home and go back to their lives. But in Christianity, what Jesus says is that, look, I love you like you are. So don't ever make that an issue with me that somehow I don't love you. I don't care about you. You're not in my family. You're in my family. But here's the thing. I love you so much. I'm going to make you like me. So I'm not leaving you your old, ugly self, your old, ugly patterns, your old, ugly ways. I'm going to transform you. I'm not going to let you walk through life and be unforgiving. I'm going to make you a forgiver like I am. I'm going to propel you to new levels of forgiveness so that you can, like me, when you are persecuted by your enemies, you can look at them and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to propel you forward so that you will understand that, look, his eye, the father's eye is on the sparrow. He is watching over you. I'm going to propel you forward so that you'll know that all the beauty of the lilies of the field, all these wonderful lilies are here and it's so beautiful. But here's the thing. Jesus says, you are arrayed in far better garments than any lily and God cares about making sure that you're going to be taken care of. Hallelujah. It cheapens what Jesus did for us when we just become churchgoers. What's transformative, what's powerful is when we become like him. His disciples, when they came out of that upper room on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after his resurrection, when he came out of that group, when, when they came out of that room, they were like Jesus. I want you to just think as we wrap up this morning. A fisherman. Educated. Up to the book of Deuteronomy. Could quote the scripture in the Old Testament, that part of it. Stands outside in the midst of thousands. 
He's a fisherman. He talks to fish. He talks to his crew. He talks to his family. He's not a rabbi. He's not a teacher. But on the day of Pentecost, when, Jesus, when, when, when they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit that was promised, when they all of a sudden hears Peter standing out in the street, and look, he's not speaking in tongues. He raises his voice, and he begins to say to them, I want you to think of how powerful this is. This is what was written by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters would prophesy. And what you see happening here is exactly what the Bible says. And listen, he took a fisherman and turned him into a shepherd who stood in the midst of people that he did not know, that he had never spoken to, and he compelled them to receive the Jesus Christ that he had received in his life. And thousands upon thousands of people cried out for the name of the Lord, to come, for Christ to come into their lives. Peter was a transformed man. Jesus loved him as a fisherman, but he had a plan for him to be something much better. Look, God loves you where you're at today. Day, but he's got something greater planned for your future. Hallelujah. Stand up with me this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name. Father God, everything that we read about in the New Testament, you have provided to us to be like you. You, Lord God, just don't desire that we know your scripture but Lord, you desire that we become your scripture, that we become, as Jesus said, the living word, that we walk in this world, Lord God. We've been free. Thank you, Lord, for making it, for setting us free. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us from mourning, Lord God, hallelujah, to the oil of joy, from bringing us, Lord God, from the spirit of heaviness, Lord, to the garment of praise. Thank you, God, for taking us, Lord, out of darkness into your light, but giving us beauty for ashes, Lord God. But God, also I know for every one of us that your transformative power is, trying to, is working to make us like you. To make us like you. Lord, today, may we be like you as we go into this world. Lord, when we see the broken and the hurting that are around us, when we see people, Lord God, who are struggling, even our friends and family, Lord God, who are just trying to struggle through an understanding of their faith. Lord, may we help them find that new identity that we have found in you, Lord God, that new place, that we are a new creation. And whatever was old is gone, and it's dead, and it's past, and we deny it. We don't want it. We're not having it. We're not that person anymore. We're not going to live that way anymore. And we're going to walk as the new creation that you've called us to be, Lord God, that all things have become new altogether, that, Lord God, that we're not struggling under the power of a thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy, but we are living an abundant life, Lord God, a life more abundantly, a life that's expressing your abundance financially, physically, Lord God, mentally, Lord, socially, and spiritually in everything that we do. And we thank you for it, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your ability here today. I want you to lift both hands to heaven if you would, and I want you to say this after me. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus 
you said in your word, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I hear your call, Lord. Now I know what you're calling me to. And I accept. I surrender to you, Lord God. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my future to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a good hand.